Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Andre from the Opinionated Podcast, and I just want to remind you that we are live every Sunday on our Facebook page, and you can find us wherever you stream your music at the Opinionated Podcast. We drop a new episode every Tuesday. So remember to like, share, comment, and don't forget to subscribe. Enjoy the show. Now, you got your wine now, and you're you good wine. to go. You missed everything. Don't worry the about abuse. it. It's, it's good. I'm saying you just had to argue about getting some wine. This is the man podcast, and you know, she's, she's mad you were drinking wine, like you said. She had you, 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 you a beer, she said. It's a beer in there, too, but if I would have grabbed that, I'd have been corny for drinking that, too. <laughs> well, we got a guest That's over nice. here. Please introduce yourself. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm uh, Len May. I am the CEO and co-founder company called endocana health so, so so break that down to us what is endocana health for people who don't know or are people listening and everything like that yeah so we are a dna company we do genetic sequencing and genotyping to help use your dna to guide you to a precision therapeutic experience uh first of all looking at your endocannabinoid system and then looking at things that are associated with your endocannabinoid system, like things like nutrient deficiencies, vitamin deficiencies. So the idea is precision medicine that's personalized to you based on your DNA. Okay. So, all right. So I'm I'm going to be I'm going to be candid here yes. and and say that we obviously read your bio and there was a lot of words. <laughs> I do not understand. <laughs> so I'm gonna start off by saying you're a real deal scientist, right? I'm a sciencey guy. I wouldn't say that I'm a scientist because he did when I was going to school, they didn't give classes in cannabis or endocannabinoid system. So it had to be, you know, sort of you learn on your own. And I worked with a lot of scientists and I picked up a lot of things from them, but I work with a lot of smarter people than myself. But the idea is look. We all have this endocannabinoid system, right? Uh, would it be helpful if I can give like a 30-second overview of what the endocannabinoid system yeah, is? Yeah, please do. Yes, please. We need that. So the endocannabinoid system is our primary modulating system. The goal of the uh, endocannabinoid system is to maintain balance or what's called homeostasis for each individual. And the way that it does that, we all have this system. The way that it does that, it gets signals from all the other systems within our bodies, like our immune system, our digestive system. And it sends that signal like salmon swimming upstream, up your central nervous system. And then the endocannabinoid system releases endogenous, which means within endogenous neurochemicals or endogenous endocannabinoids. The two that it releases are called anandamide. So the word anand in Sanskrit means bliss. So this is your bliss hormone. The second one is called 2-AG. So we have these natural uh, neurochemicals that are pumped into our bloodstream from our brain, and that's the goal to manage the uh, balance all the other systems. So what happens is, and how cannabis really works and how it becomes a part of our lives is, we actually have deficiencies in our own natural producing endocannabinoid system, we're lucky we found this plant in nature that has phytocannabinoids, which are cannabinoids that come from a plant that bind to our receptors that we already have throughout our body and our brain, and it helps release those endogenous endocannabinoids, those neurochemicals. So to give you an example, uh, without using big words, I'll try not to like actually uh, get really sciencey, but let's say that uh, we are um, we're both consuming cannabis, right? So THC, when you actually uh, light it and you heat it up, it converts the the acid molecule. Yep, exactly. The acid molecule from the plant converts to delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, THC. When it does that, we have a receptor in our brain, in our, in our bodies called the CB1 receptor. That THC binds to that receptor and releases anandamide. So remember, it's a bliss hormone. So that's the, that's the hormone that makes us feel euphoria, like gets us high. It actually stimulates appetite. It uh, acts as an analgesic, so pain reliever, and it helps to stimulate mood, etc. And then CBD, the other major uh, phytocannabinoid, that binds to your CB2 receptors. And we have CB2 receptors th- throughout our body, usually mostly in our immune, our digestive systems, etc. And when that binds, it releases this other neurochemical called 2-AG, 
And that one main goal is to help reduce inflammation and help to uh, balance your immune system. So the idea is when we have these imbalances that we can't produce ourselves, the plan helps us get our uh, body back in balance. Wow. So that is hard. Yeah. I you, feel and I feel all of those things every time. There I, you I'm, go. Exactly. Especially the bliss part. The bliss exactly. part and 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 the and the we call it the the it's just it's we call it the fuck it mode. Like fuck it. You know what I mean? When you start smoking, you Kevin, no, you've been there. Yeah, I've been you know there. I, like, Kevin, fuck it. You know what I, if I have but, something important to do, I will not he will t- not take an edible because takes, it just yeah, makes me like you don't have slow. to do that. <laughs> yeah, but see, an edible an edible is different, right? So what happens with an edible, when you eat so the way that you consume cannabis, uh, and that's why it's all a personalized individualized experience. Okay. When you actually eat it. THC goes into your digestive system. Your liver converts that THC, what you're smoking on, it converts it to another substance called 11-oxyhydroxide. So your liver converts it, then it goes up to your bloodstream, binds your receptors, but it's a different experience, five to 50 times more powerful than smoking or consuming sublingually under your tongue. So you can have a complete different experience. And some people that have predispositions to like, stress reactivity, anxiety, etc. they can have a very intense experience with Nettable. It can last a lot longer. So oh, yes. Yeah, we've seen. We've seen that. We've seen that happen to our other <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 he actually, I, I mean, I know you're, you're new to uh, our podcast, but if you actually go back into the history of when we kind of first started, I guess that was within our first year. No. Uh, we, it was our second year. It was yeah. within the first, second year. It was a couple years ago. And uh, I'll never forget. We, I gave, I gave Dre a piece of one of my edibles. is chocolate bar. It was two pieces. It, it was a piece. That it was maybe, be, it was maybe this big, bro. And he ate it. And was like, oh, this is good. And then by the end of the show, he was like, I gotta go outside, guys. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm over. This show's over for me. And yeah, we yeah. had to shut the show down. His legs didn't work. He couldn't, His legs didn't he work could, at he all. couldn't breathe. Yeah. And if he <laughs> fell asleep, he was never gonna wake up again. Yeah. And so then, we, but, but there we, was we, two. I was going to say we have a we 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 have a guest here who can actually maybe attest to this. I don't I don't smoke weed at all, mm-hmm. and at the time I was on a diet which didn't include meat. Now I tried to I tried to tell them why that makes sense, and they always say, "What well, does not eating meat have to do with anything?" And I said, for some reason, even when you're drinking, even like you feel the effects of these things a little bit more. Um, like a, a little bit more intense. than you would, it'll be a little bit more intense than you would if you are eating meat or just on a regular diet of just, you know, junk food. Do you have anything like comparable to that? Cause I, they say it and they think I say it and they think I'm crazy. He is crazy. I, I, a little bit. He is crazy. I haven't eaten meat in, in 13 years and uh, it, it actually has to do with uh, how you metabolize. So everybody has a different metabolic system and the way that we metabolize controls the effect that you get from edibles. So we have, and I'll get a little bit sciencey, but we have these series of genes called cytochrome P450, CYP450. So each one of these genes produces an enzyme that metabolizes something that we consume. So there's one for lactose, there's one for gluten, There's one for THC. Actually, it's called CYP2C9. There's one for CBD, which is called uh, CYP2C19, and then one for CBD and THC together, which is CYP3A4. But here's the thing. If you're a poor metabolizer of THC and you consume you know, an edible, when the conversion of 11-oxyhydroxide happens, you're a poor metabolizer. The onset is slower. And it can be 5 to 50, like I said before, it can be a much more powerful onset. And it can be an experience that actually gives you a body high first, so you feel in your body. And then it binds to that receptor again and gives you the, uh, you know, that brain high. And if you have other predispositions to like stress reactivity or PTSD or slow rate of fear extinction, it can actually turn on like light switches. It can turn on your genetic predisposition to a stressful event. So now you're getting high. You're starting to feel it because it's not like smoking weed. We smoke a joint. It hits you right away and you know exactly what the feeling is going to be. This one creeps up on you and it stays for a while. 
And then it takes a long time for it to, and if it triggers something else, now you can have a true stressful event. So that's, you have to know how you metabolize. I try to avoid personally, I'm not a big edible guy. I can, you know, I can smoke a blunt and be fine and no issue, but an edible, uh, and I'm a normal metabolizer of, uh, of THC. But if I'm consuming THC, CBD and other terpenes, et cetera, with it, it can actually, I can't control my experience the same way I would do with like consuming a combustible smoking it. So yeah, Jeez. that's so in layman's so, term, layman's term. <laughs> Dre's a lightweight. That's basically <laughs> what he said. For that's those exactly, who didn't exactly pick up what he was though. putting down, Dre's a lightweight. But Kev ain't exactly though. Kev ain't though. I'm good. So, <laughs> so, so Len, when, when, when was the first time you was introduced to uh, cannabis? Like, when was your first time? Yeah, so um, so I, I was the kid that was in school, and I would sit there, and all these windows would pop in my head, and I would daydream, and I can't pay attention. And, uh, yeah, so... My parents were like, well, when I when I get stimulated, when I when I want to do well, I focus. But other than that, I can't focus. So my parents started taking me to a doctor. They're like, he's an underachiever. So I got diagnosed with ADD and they put me on prescription medication uh, starting when I was uh, in my early teens. And uh, I was I was going to I think it was eighth grade and I was going in the class and I used to play. I used to play tennis for like the team in the morning. So my mom would drop me off at like uh, six o'clock in the morning and I get to school early and these uh, kids were hanging out and they were smoking cigarettes. And I was like, Hey, you want to smoke a cigarette with us? I'm like, yeah, cool. I'll hang out with the cool kids or smoke a cigarette. I'll try it. So I was like, you know, dabbling with cigarettes before for a little bit. So we got together as four of them and they had one cigarette. I'm like, I should have known something was up. They had one cigarette. All right, fine. So they pass around cigarette. It comes to me. I take a drag, inhale it. Uh, I cough a little bit, but didn't taste like a cigarette right away. So I took another one, and they're all laughing at me. I'm like, what's up? They said, ah, that's weed. So they filled the cigarette up with weed. And I was like, I started feeling a little high, and I went back to class. But all the windows in my head narrowed, and I could focus. And I'm like, whoa, this is interesting. So I started trying to find weed as much as possible. Yeah, I would you know, hang out with my friends and smoke like recreationally, but I never told anybody that it was actually having this type of effect on me. So I gave up all my prescription meds and never took any of it again and just uh, started consuming cannabis as my go-to medicine. So that, that's my first experience. That's dope. At I'm the time, lie. did you like at that time, because I know it was like weed has always been this bad drug. Did you have like the negative stuff? You know, stigmas. Did you like, hey, that's for losers? Did you have that? No, nah, I, I thought it was all all that brain on your brain on drugs, Nancy Reagan bullshit. I thought it was all because I tried it and I didn't have that same experience. Yeah. But so, and I never saw anybody else. Like, I did see a kid in high school who took too much acid and I really took, changed them, but nobody, I've never seen anybody have this negative effect of weed. And maybe the weed we were getting back in the day. You know, the, our nickel bags with like stems and seeds, maybe they had 10% THC, not like the shit we do have today. So it didn't affect me as drastically as it does for some people. But I never felt that. I never felt the stigma around it. And I'll tell you what happened. So as I was consuming cannabis over and over, my parents would catch me. They're old school. They come from, uh, you know, Eastern Europe. And uh, my, my dad really thought this was a drug. So they kept you know, punishing me and taking it away. And I kept battling back and forth. And I said, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to still continue to consume cannabis. So my dad finally relented. He said, as long as you don't bring it in my house, because it's legal, I don't want to get, don't bring it in my house. So I'm like 17. And uh, uh, we went out. I had fake ID when I was a kid. Went, went out, went to a club, came back, and went fishing. So we would go, we'd come home like three, four in the morning and go fishing. And I come back and I sleep half the day. So I walk downstairs after I wake up in the afternoon and my parents are sitting at the kitchen table and they have my pouch and I had a pouch in the underneath my seat in my car who had my weed, my, uh, my bowls, all this other shit. So I see they have this. I'm like, what's this? So we told you not to bring it in the house. I said, I didn't. I left it in the car. So that's my property. So we're going back and forth. And my parents say, well, we don't know what to do with you. You're a druggie and all this stuff. I'm like, I'm not a druggie. This is my medicine. They really didn't get it. So they ended up calling the cops on me. Oh. So uh, two wow. female officers came in and they were like, oh, you know, we're going to take you in. I said, okay, I've, uh, you know, under 28 grams is a misdemeanor. 
you fill out paperwork. I'll get out my own reconnaissance, do whatever you want. And the one lady is like, he's a smart ass. Uh, if it was my son, I would just kick him the curb. And when they left, my dad said, you have five minutes to get your shit. So I went upstairs, packed a suitcase, and he literally kicked me out the door with his foot. And that was it. I was on my own. But the irony of this, my parents both consume products and formulations and things that we manufacture or our formulations uh, for their own conditions now. And when I was in Jamaica, I got a chance to smoke a joint with my dad. So it all came full circle. That's crazy because I went through the same, I went through the same scenario. And I mean, I don't know the age difference between the two of us. I'm 50. Yeah. So you're not too much older than you only got a decade on me. So (laughs) when I used to, um, when I was younger and I used to smoke, we'd, we'd, we'd smoke, you know, socially. And when you come home, especially like if there's events, you try to slide through without nobody really noticing you. You get your spray on before you come inside. You got to try to make sure you're right. Make sure you got all your all your T's crossed and all your I's dotted. And then as soon as I'm about to get to my room, right before I step through the door, Kevin, <laughs> I got to walk back in there. Where, where, where was you? I got to put this focus face on because I know I can feel my face sliding. <laughs> I can feel my eyes. I know that I'm looking some type of Asian or my eyes are really, really low. And I know they're just talking. And they're, and they're literally saying shit to fuck with me. Oh, you was out there? You, you don't want nothing to eat? You sure you're not hungry? Yeah? Oh, you want to get some sleep? You look a little tired. Your eyes red. Was you crying? Like, what's going that on? That sounds here? like your dad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but here's the, the thing about it is my dad's a funny guy too. So nowadays, my dad calls me or texts me or shows me all the new devices yeah. that he purchases because he goes, Oh, hey, I just got this new J roller. You want to see it? I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? You know how much how many battles I had to go through to get to this point? You know what I mean? And now it's just a social norm. You know what I mean? When someone sees you smoking or they don't even, it's like smoking a cigarette now. Yeah, I mean, it, for the it most part, a lot. Countries, it, yeah. yeah, it changed a lot. But he, here's the thing I think that would help my dad. First of all, uh, all these I, people started coming to me after I got into the medical uh, parts of cannabis. And I, I'll, I'll, I'll fill you guys in to the gap of how I bridged that from being like homeless and to being where, where I am today. But People were coming to us with cancer, with other kind of conditions and people that my parents knew and we were helping them. So my dad, finally, he he had really bad arthritis in his in his one hand. And then he reached out. He's like, is there anything that you have? And I remember we we created this product for uh, bodybuilders. My my friend was uh, Mr. Olympian. He was going for Mr. Olympian. He's like, man, I work out twice a day. Uh, and my legs, he goes, when I work legs, it's so hard to work legs again because it gets so sore. So we made this product called uh, uh, Recovery, and it had some BCAA, some amino acids, and some cannabinoids and other things. And it, he won Mr. Olympia uh, that year, natural physique, whatever. Uh, not saying that I was responsible for that, but if we can help him even 1%, great. So yeah. uh, my dad this recovery, and he was taking him. He goes, my arthritis went away. I didn't even design it for that purpose. And he, they were going on a, on a trip to Italy. And I said, hey, make sure you take your, you know, your recovery. It's got THC in it, but like take it out of the box and hide it. I don't know. Because he goes, I don't even need it anymore. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, the arthritis went away. It doesn't hurt anymore. Oh, so that was, uh, that was the experience. So he had this personal experience with it. And then he's fine. And now he tells people, like he's so proud of it. And if, he tells people all the time, yeah, my son does this. And if you need anything, call him. So, yeah. Yeah, I feel so, like, so I let, feel, yeah, let's, let's get the back. Now we want to hit the backstory because you just skipped over a, a <laughs> yeah, freaking yeah, yeah, yeah. monumental part. Yeah, like, yeah. Wait a minute, hold up. You're yeah. How, how did you, <laughs> let's get there from you being homeless. Yeah. To now, can you fill us in? Because oh, yeah, I want, yeah, I want to know. Yeah, I definitely want to know yeah. this. So I start. So I started like this. So I had five hundred dollars at a car. So I would get like motel rooms for uh, a week, like fifteen dollars 
yeah, night, the ones that they charge you by the hour. So I would mm-hmm. sleep in that motel room with my clothes on because I don't want to touch anything in these motel wow. rooms. And uh, that I was dating this girl. She let me crash in her parents' house. And then they kicked me out. And then I was couch surfing for a while. And <clears throat> then uh, I would shop at Tower Records all the time. I'm a big music guy. And uh, one of the guys there was like, hey, I was looking for a job. And I just graduated high school. I just started going to college. Uh, so I needed a job and you know, I didn't have a place to live. Like, well, you can work, you know, we're hiring for a cashier. So I got a job at Tower Records in Philly uh, as a cashier. And uh, my, my grandma was alive back then. And she's like, well, you can stay with me. And I stayed on her couch for a while. And then she gave me enough <clears throat> money for a deposit, security deposit for an apartment. So I got this shitty basement apartment. It used to flood every time there were rain and oh, roaches man. everywhere. So, uh, but I, I got a job <clears throat> and I was going to work in Tower Records and uh, then, you know, smoking weed and everybody there was smoking weed. And then people would come in the store and they would go, there's smell, I'm like, it smells like weed. I'm like, yeah. It's like, hey, you know where I can get some? I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> As a matter of fact, yeah. So, I'm, so I'm, <laughs> yeah, so I'm aging myself, but I had a, I had a pager. And I would give people my pager number and it would text me this uh, or page me this code. And I would have my, my buddy would go back to my, my place. And, and he would, so I started, you know, you was uh, trapped. <laughs> <laughs> tra- yeah, exactly. It was a trap house. Before you was there was trapped. such a thing, man. Before there was such a thing. Page oh, <laughs> exactly. okay. A little file for the dub. Okay. I'll be right there. Exactly. Exactly. Get it was the like that. Phone. Yeah, That's so I was, crazy. I was paying, I was exactly all that and the payphone, all that. So, oh, you know, I, I had to pay my way through college. But the, the thing is that having this job at Tower Records gave me perks. I made $7 an hour, but I got mm. free tickets to concerts. I got a ton of music and I was going, I was going to, got a ticket for this festival called the Horde Festival, H O R D E. Uh-huh. And, uh, went there and it was like, uh, uh, Ziggy Marley, the Black Crows, all these weed bands. And there was a, a group of uh, kids that had a sign called the Cannabis Action Network. So I walked up to their table and like, hey, what are you guys doing? Like, we're fighting for legalization. I'm like, how are you doing it? We're registering people to vote. I'm like, cool. What else are you doing? Registering people to vote. I'm like, okay. So I became the president of the Cannabis Action Network. I can be, and I held a rally at Independence Hall in Philly, the first of a rally for legalization. So Independence Hall is where the Constitution, Declaration of Independence are, all written on hemp paper, by the way. Oh, and uh, my, my keynote speaker was this woman named L.B. Masika. So you may not know, but the federal government had a program <clears throat> uh, for about 16 years where 12 people got federally prescribed cannabis for their Condition, some cancer. Uh, she had degenerative glaucoma. So the government grew cannabis in Mississippi, provided uh, a actual a license for legal cannabis, even though it's Schedule One, which means it has no medicinal purposes. But the government grew it for medicinal purposes and had a patent for neuroprotectant properties, and they still it just uh, you know became an open patent uh, a few years ago. So these these pre-rolled cigarettes would get rolled in Carolina. They would come in a tin jar with a USDA label on them. And uh, LV was a keynote. She was speaking on federal property with federal rangers, opened up her jar, lit up her pre-rolled joint uh, cigarette, and everybody's, nobody did anything. It's legal. It was 100% federally legal. And everybody crashed my house in the next uh, uh, the day, and we got woken up to a loud noise. So I was dating this girl. She was a, an artist. She had a sculpture in her house that she made. And LV happened to walk into the sculpture and, and break into pieces. And she was so apologetic, but she couldn't see. She was completely blind. So this is my aha moment. So I know it's medicine for me. I never knew it's medicine for anybody else who just smoked weed. I saw her medicating, and all of a sudden, those muscles in her eyes released, and she could see. I still wore glasses and all that stuff, but she wasn't blind anymore. And that was my moment where I said, wait a second. This is medicine for me. This is medicine for her. I have a different condition than her, and we're both consuming cannabis, and it's helping both of us. So let me try to dig in and dive deeper to try to see what the medical aspects of this amazing plant are. And that started my journey 
towards, uh, you know, cannabis. And, uh, this was in Philly. And when I, my, my girlfriend who then became my, my wife, who's now my ex-wife said, Hey, it's time to get a real job. So I, I went to work for this company called Price Waterhouse. And I was, uh, you know, I used to have, I know it's hard to believe, I used to have long hair. So I put in a ponytail, took my earrings out, Me and too. wore a suit and tie. <laughs> I can imagine you were long hair, though. That's crazy. I could, I could you know, all that, that stuff. And then, uh, you know, I was, I was doing corporate work all that time. And, and I was trying to study, get as much stuff as I could on cannabis. Then we ended up moving to L.A., and I uh, met these guys through real estate that were trying to open up what they said was an alternative pharmacy. And they were, I was like, what are you really trying to do? Like, we want to open up a dispensary. So I said, where's your paperwork? So we didn't have any. So I helped them with all their paperwork uh, wow. this back in 20, 2009. And they offered me a partnership. So we opened up our first dispensary in Orange County in Santa Ana called Cush Kingdom. And uh, that was, uh, we ended up having five of them. But the thing that really set us over the edge is uh, my one partner was sitting, uh, he calls me up. He's like, hey, man, I'm sitting here with Corrupt from Dog Pound. I don't know yeah. if you guys, uh, so I'm yeah. sitting here with Corrupt and he, he wants to name a strain after him. So I'm like, is there a computer? So I created an agreement, like a representation agreement. So we became uh, the for- exclusive home of Corrupt's Kush. And then oh. six months later, uh, Mikey is my partner. He's sitting with uh calls me up again. He's like, I'm sitting here with Method Man. I'm like, yeah, oh, he wants to name oh, his train shit. out there. Word. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. Well, I see <laughs> well, thanks for the children, man. Thanks for the kids, baby. I see and, you got uh, the Neptune shirt on. Yeah. So, so, we, so we became the exclusive home of Corrupt's Kush and Method Man's Blackout OG. And it just like exploded from there. <clears> That's but, fire. So it was, it was, it was a fun time, but then I get a call from a manager, one of the shops. She's like, Hey, the feds are here. What do I do? I'm like, whatever the fuck they tell you. <laughs> and uh, they ended up uh, one after the other, uh, trying to shut us down. So last shop I was at with the, the guy from the department of justice and he goes, let's go for a walk. I'm like, all right. So he goes, uh, Hey man, I have no problem with dope. My mom takes it for a cancer. But uh, we have orders. If you shut down 14 days cease and desist, we won't prosecute. We won't do anything. And uh, that was it. And shut it down. But it actually created this whole new passion for me because all, all the whole time, I, I love the therapeutic aspects of this plant. And the one thing that I couldn't understand is why two people can consume the same cultivar, the same strain, and have a completely different experience. And that was sort of my mission. So my ADD, I can go like multitask a million different things. But when I get passionate about something, I can hyper-focus. And this became my thing to try to resolve. So like one of the guys in the shop, he wanted to smoke some weed. He's like, hey, let's smoke. I'm like, yeah, cool, man. I got some, uh, you know, sativa dominant hybrid. He goes, no, 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 no. That shit puts me to sleep. I said, no, sativa. Sativa's up. Indica's down, right? He goes, not for me. Every single time I consume sativa, it puts me to sleep. So I was like, what is that all really? about? Yeah. So it's, so we have a different experience. So I, I, so I'm researching the internet. I came across a video by this guy named Kevin McKernan. He was one of the first people who genetically sequenced the plant cannabis. So right. I started reaching out to him and I was like, uh, emails, emails, trying to call. And I got a call from his uh, assistant said, Kevin's going to be in San Francisco. He's got 30 minutes to meet with you. And I'm in LA. So I'm like, all right, I got in a plane, flew to uh, San Fran, met with Kevin for three hours. And he wow. said, we got to do something together. So I came on board as a consultant. My job was to travel around the U.S. and Canada and get plant material from different growers. So I knew all the best growers. I would get their cannabis. I would bring it to my lab. They taught me all this stuff, extract the DNA, purify it, and send it from Boston to a sequencer. So we started the first genetic library of the actual strains. Here, so I'll give you guys an example of what that means. You know, there's all these names like Blue Dream. Let's use Blue Dream as, a, as an example, right? So we have Blue Dream, and I get five different Blue Dreams. And I bring them to my lab, extract the DNA. When I look at the DNA, two of the Blue Dreams that I got are pretty much identical. So we know that genetically they are Blue Dream. Yeah. Two other ones are have Blue Dream, dream in them. So they're crosses. They're called Blue Dream, but they're not Blue Dream, but they have Blue Dream in them. And the fifth one that's called Blue Dream, it's not even close to Blue Dream. It's a completely different profile. So wow. the point is these names that we give these strains don't mean anything. It's about yeah. the cannabinoid and terpene profile. 
And that's when you know when you get a personalized experience. So that was my journey. That hold on, hold on. Is... There's a lot of stuff there, but I, I, hold on. I'm gonna let y'all Drake go. Got lost. Drake I got just... lost in the no, loss. <laughs> no, no, no. I was with him. I was very interested in that. I'm gonna ask a question that I had a while ago, and then I want y'all to kind of go ahead and get in there too. Okay, good. But there was so much in there. So, what would you say is the big issue from your professional your professional point of view? Right, is the big issue with the government and the and the the drugs that they say, hey, take this, take this thing that you know has addictive addictive tendencies to it that we kind of make sure is addictive and weed that, you know, you can grow yourself if you want, or you can, you know, you can get from your, you know, what, is that for what all would you us? say is the biggest issue with, uh, with the government and, and, and what you do? I mean, it's, it's money, you know, so it's, it all comes down to the money. You follow the money. And the reason why cannabis is still schedule one, besides all the racist, besides all the 1937 marijuana tax acts, Bullshit. The reason why the reason why cannabis is legal is 100 percent racist. It only has to do with that. That's why it became legal. And then Richard Nixon created the the schedule of drugs. And if you guys know the history, uh, you know, cannabis was brought over originally in Southeast Asia. It was brought over and cultivated in Mexico. Uh, So the original uh, the original cultivars were from Southeast Asia, uh, which are the indica plants. And then they had also in Africa, South Africa, and also some of the Caribbean islands, they grew the original land-raised sativas. So they both, and the reason why it makes it an indica sativa has to do with the essential oils that the plant produces, which in cannabis is called terpenes. So these terpenes give the cannabis its smell, and they also have an effect. So the ones that grew around the Kashmir region of Southeast Asia, Nepal, and all that, uh, they grew, uh, they had this really diesel musky smell to them. And that has to do with a, an oil terpene called myrcene. Myrcene is sedative. That's why the indica is sedative. Uh, they, they, it's, it has to do with that terpene. And the other ones grew in a climate that was a uh, more towards the sun, like uh, like Durban poison, which yeah. grew in in South Africa. That's a pure sativa, so that has dopamine and some GABA receptor binding, so it gives you a boost up, right? So that sativas give you the up, indicas give you the down. So That's anyway, crazy. when those crops started coming into Mexico, Mexican farm workers started growing uh, marijuana. We never called it marijuana before, and when they started coming over to the U.S. as workers. And they started bringing that over. Uh, they started getting into the jazz musicians. This is in, in the late 20s, uh, most like. And uh, what happened was the jazz musicians, I don't know if you guys know from that era, jazz created um, where people of all races and colors could go and coexist and dance and hang out and wow. The jazz musicians would consume cannabis. They would smoke weed that they would get from Mexican farm workers who were calling cannabis sativa marijuana. That's why they started calling marijuana. And mm. uh, what happened was the the authorities at that time they didn't like that their white uh, daughters were hanging out at jazz clubs, dancing with uh, you know black musicians, listening to black music. Yeah. And so they uh, William Randolph Hearst was the first person yeah. that actually started doing this. He started lobbying uh, all these uh, wealthy people to put together this task force. And they got this guy named Harry Anslinger uh, yeah. in place. And he was the first person that started locking people up for cultivating cannabis. Our forefathers, everybody who came uh, over, they brought cannabis with them. You know, George Washington used to have a Thomas Jefferson, all these uh, people who came and discovered America and they all grew uh, hemp and cannabis and are the sails, the uniforms, the ropes, they're all made out of hemp. So this was a cash crop. Uh, and what happened was because William Randall Hearst, they discovered uh, the chemical formula to make paper out of wood. So him and DuPont and also fabrics, they started making synthetic fabrics instead of, instead of hemp, which was competition for them. So they passed in 1937, they passed the 1937 uh, Marijuana Stamp Tax Act. So anybody who grew <laughs> cannabis crops would get taxed, you know, thousands of times more than. And then they started incentivizing farmers to convert their crops to corn 
instead. That's why we have, we're the biggest producer of corn. That's our corn syrups and everything because we have an abundance of corn uh, from that time. Wow. And then they started locking people up. So for a long time, that was, uh, we were under this 1937 marijuana stamp tax act. And then when Richard Nixon took power, he couldn't stand this, what he called the hippie culture, the Jew culture, who are hippies, he, mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And then he put together a task force that actually, if you read it, did not find cannabis to be a uh, addictive or the substance and found it to be, have a lot of medical benefits. And he squashed it. His own, his own task force, he put it aside and rescheduled cannabis as a Schedule One narcotic, uh, which has no medicinal purposes. So that's how it became illegal. So going back to your question, I know it's a, a worded answer, but oh, I want to perfect history. <clears throat> so going back to your question, uh, the reason why we have this system in this country the way we have is all because of pharma. We're the only country that is a for-profit medical uh, system. And what happens is when the FDA is involved, you have to go through a process of creating a medicine. If it doesn't, if it's not a medicine through the FDA process, then they can't make money off it. Right. So cannabis is has <clears throat> somewhere over 400 different components to it. And, and the pharma industry is used to one, maybe two. So they initially started creating the, in the, this uh, synthetic THC called Marinol. And uh-huh. they would give it to AIDS patients who were uh, dying in pain and, and cancer patients. And it wasn't working. Uh, it would it would make them sleepy, but it didn't yes. give them the munchies. It didn't work the way cannabis works because it's not just one component. Yeah. So the main reason why it's still illegal is because – there's only one company in the world who has an FDA-approved drug that came from cannabis. It's called GW Pharmaceuticals. It actually just got acquired by a company called Jazz Pharmaceuticals, and the product's called Epidilex. So it's specific for a part, kind of epilepsy, childhood epilepsy, epilepsy called Gervais syndrome. And that was created from CBD. But the next product that they try to get past the FDA, it's called Sativax, which is a one-to-one CBD and THC. So it's moving in that direction. Uh, the, re- the only way we're going to get over this hump is by rescheduling or descheduling cannabis, allowing working with pharma to create clinical trials for different components in the plant that are going to be for specific medical conditions. That way we'll get it legalized. Pharma can make money. <clears throat> The government can make money. And then we also have the second constituents, what I feel is going to be nutraceuticals that have all these different components in the plant. So if I go to my vitamin shop, I can go consistently buy my cannabis product. And the reason we have the biggest issue now is because we have inconsistency. It's not federally legal. So my California product is not going to be the same as the product I get in New York, same product as I get in Florida. And this is the way we need to work on to elevate the game so it's consistent throughout and tested so we know exactly what we're putting in our bodies. And that's when I think it's going to be legal. Jeez, wow. that's a you breaking down the history. I, I was I, I heard that story a lot of the time. I, they would say, "What was the movie that they uh, came out with?" And what was that? The nineteen fifties. No, they got I mean, they reefer, got, reefer oh, madness. Reefer madness that got everybody in hysteria to say, "Hey, so, this is a." So I'll tell you about reefer madness. It's a great point. So they, William Randall Hearst, funded that, and him. They used to have movie theaters. So what they would do is uh, Edison and those guys. They would own movie theaters because he created the, and they would show reefer madness before the premiere of the movie. So all the wealthier people that that could afford to go to the movies. Before they see their movie, they would have to see Reefer Madness. And Reefer Madness is this thing, you know, this guy smokes a little bit of uh, weed and then he kills his girlfriend and then he has psychosis and jumps out the window. So they started creating the scare tactic. And that was part of the thing that William Randall Hearst funded. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that because I I, I did a lot of research on it and they said, yeah, it was, you know, the reason marijuana was uh, a drug because it was competing with the cotton business and all, uh, cause hemp was like, you can just, anybody can grow hemp and it was, uh, it was, you can change it to anything, paper, uh, clothing. Yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. yeah what, it was competing. It was competing with cotton and tobacco. Those yeah. are the main, yeah. those are the main lobbies. Yeah. They had all the money and they were like, yeah, man, this is, uh, you know, this is pushing us out. Let's take let's them out of these guys. Yeah. Doesn't, what doesn't make sense to me is how, 
you can classify marijuana as a class two drug, but still have it recreational, like a recreational use. Cause you don't see someone saying, Oh, it's Percocets out here. It's, it's a class two drug as well, but it's not recreational drug at all. They know, you know what I mean? Big Pharma got control of, of that whole situation. So how are you able to make it legal? federally but still be able to enjoy it recreationally without you having to go without you having to have any legal issues you just deschedule it i mean look think i mean it. like like at the moment right now see we're, we're in jersey yeah. so we're it's 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 legal it's recreational in jersey yeah but it's it's still federally illegal so True. it's like where do you fall you can get in trouble but you can't get in trouble you, you see what i'm saying it's <laughs> well, like yeah, if if a cop decides all right, yeah, you got this little bit of an amount, or he could be like, oh, you're just a little bit over. You're going to jail. Federal. You know what I mean? It's just, it just seems too much cop, of a gray cop, area. Cop can't, cop can't do anything federally. So what happened was when they signed the uh, the Cole memo in uh, uh, as law, what happened was part of the – it's still Schedule 1, so it means it has no medicinal purpose whatsoever. However, under the Cole memo – it gave rights to the states to supersede the federal government when it comes to cannabis. So the state law supersedes federal unless you're actually crossing state lines, which you can't okay. do. So whatever law is in Jersey, the police that's in, in Jersey, the cops in Jersey, they abide by the law and it doesn't have federal jurisdiction. So right. state over uh, uh, state comes before federal. That's the that's the law. In the U.S. now, but what happened? If you think about, it, there's already a formula to do this. Uh, alcohol was illegal. We had prohibition mm-hmm. of alcohol. Yeah. So what happened there? All they did was lift prohibition. They didn't deschedule it. They didn't reschedule it. They didn't make alcohol a Schedule Five. They just took it away. And mm-hmm. the, and then there is a uh, you know there's a business associated with alcohol. There's this is the same thing that can happen with cannabis. And that's what I'm saying. There's got to be two lanes. There's got to be a medicinal lane where farmer will make their cut. And then there's got to be the other lane where the Teamsters will make their cut uh, as distributors of cannabis. Yep. And a cut, think about it. It's an agricultural crop. At the end of the day, it's big ag. So you have Monsanto, who's already in the cannabis business. And there's no way to fight it because you have billions and billions of dollars in agriculture to medical to distribution and that's the way we're going to be able to have these two lanes. There is a there is a medic medicinal aspect to this plant, and then there is the recreational aspect of this plant. But everybody's got to get their cut. Once everybody figures out how to make their money, now we deschedule it and we can enjoy it all over without being concerned. That's what I that's what I always thought. I said once they figure out a way to tax this and get their money out of it, they're going to lift it because what is it? Colorado was the like the first, and they, I know they seen how much money Colorado was making. It was like, how do we figure this all out for the rest of the United States as much as this one state is making? Yeah, well, you're absolutely that Colorado, they tried to legalize in California first, and yeah. they knew they weren't going to do it. So they moved to Colorado and said, it's a smaller state. Let's give them a model that shows that it works. And then you see the rest of the country. I mean, you have 37 states that have some sort of cannabis program, but there's two things that actually happened. One of them was uh, Boehner, who was uh, the speaker of the house at that point. He was a big opponent of cannabis and really lobbied against it. And when he was retiring, he got a job at a multi-state operator called acreage cannabis and he changed his whole tune and he was like uh, i believe in cannabis now crying and i think they paid him a lot of other green to be able to say that yep. and then and then uh, the second thing is mitch mcconnell uh when you see what happened in in his state of kentucky they started pushing for hemp and if you look, for CB, the reason why CBD is everywhere is because they passed a farm bill and Mitch McConnell actually sponsored because he started seeing, you know what, my state's losing money. How can we grow this crop and tax it? So if you go to Kentucky, there's a lot of places that had like R.J. Reynolds logos that used to be tobacco uh, farms, but now they're growing CBD hemp. And the way they grow it and the hemp that we consume in our bodies, I'll describe the experience as a combine that goes through, takes down the entire plant, stalk, everything with the leaves, takes it all in, throws into an industrial dryer, dries it, 
and then excretes uh, what's called crude oil. And that's all these hemp products that we put in our bodies, like the CBD, a lot of them, they come from that crappy uh, hemp that's grown there with all the, instead of just the bud itself. So, you know, it's ag. That's the way it's going to be. Big ag. You know what's sad? Like, like hearing all this, and we all knew this before, is that every single, it seems like every single thing that people are fighting for what's wrong or what's right, all the stuff that like the people at the local levels are fighting for, it was all influenced by money. Like it wasn't that, oh, this is wrong and it could hurt you and this is alcohol is this. And it, it's like, nah, we couldn't figure out how to make money off of it back in the day or nah, somebody decided that they wanted to just kind of campaign against it, using it as a platform. But it's really all about money. It's not or about racism. right or wrong. Or racism. Or racism, yeah. which, yeah. Is, which is even worse. Goodness gracious, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> it's a combination <laughs> of both, right? So yeah. but this is this is the history of this country, right? This is the way this country operates because if if you're – think about it this way. It's a crop. It's a plant. It's a weed. It grows anywhere. So if, you, if somebody can grow it anywhere, that means that I can't monopolize it. I can't synthesize it. I can't make money off it because anybody can grow it, you know, in in their backyard. So we need to create we need to create laws that are going to prevent you from growing your own plant and we want to control it. So wait, it's illegal. It's a schedule 1, but we grow it. The government grows it. We have a huge place a facility to grow cannabis. Well, why are you growing it? Well, because just because. <laughs> Why are we going it? I don't know. Why are we going it? Why are we going it? Uh, are we doing research with it? We're not. So there's a reason. And and I have a friend, Dr. Sue Sisley. She was one of the first people that did a uh, clinical trial on cannabis. And in order for her to do that, she had to get a DA license and get her cannabis from Mississippi, from University of Mississippi, where the federal government grows it. She When she got her, it was freeze-dried, frozen cannabis. Uh, when she got it, it was full of mold. She had mm-hmm. to remediate the mold from that cannabis in order to give it to veterans for their clinical trial on PTSD. So mm-hmm. she had to pay for the remediation herself. Insane. Like most of this stuff, like I, I've been, you know, I've been listening to a lot of different podcasts and hearing different people speak on it. So most of this stuff I know, man, I'm thinking... I'm thinking probably within the next maybe 15 years, they're going to, what they're going to do to allow people to grow in their backyard is going to be some kind of tax. You come down to your local police station or government building and you say, Hey, I want to grow X amount of this in my backyard. They'd be like, Hey, okay, you got to pay this much on your property tax or you got to have this, uh, you put this in your window while you're growing it. It's, it's $50. It's $50. That's what it's going to say. Yeah. It's gonna, <laughs> whatever. It's going to say something like, Hey, you have, you have to have this in your window like while you're growing it. The date has to match of how, you know, that you came and you pay for it. And when it expires, you're good. Cause that's the only way I can see it all being legal, just straightly straight across the board. They, well, they got get a license. That. You get a license. So the way, the way they're proposing to do in certain states, you buy a license to cultivate. So you pay the government and you renew that license on an annual basis. And that license allows you to grow six plants and that's it. Mm-hmm. So they can go and see if you're growing 12. No, now you're in trouble. But basically, maybe they'll have other licenses. Like you have a class one license that allows you to grow six. You have a class two license that allows you to grow 12. That's exactly what you're saying. They're going to tax it and they're going to charge you uh, a fee for that. And you got to renew it every year. But let me ask you a question. And I don't know if you have the answer for me. What if I, uh, I do know people with their own, like, you know, business and everything. Um, my wife has family that has businesses in Jersey and Trenton right across the street from the from the courthouse and um and kind of down here but if I wanted to I'm just a guy and I just wanted to start my own um weed business whether that be you know CBD or something like that like what advice would you have like how how would I go about starting that you know what I mean like legally yeah well CBD is different CBD is so CBD is controlled under the farm bill And as long as you comply with whatever the regulations of the farm bill, you can cultivate and you can produce CBD products and sell them in most states. Uh, Now, THC, anything over 0.3% THC or more is considered cannabis. 
So even if you're growing hemp, but it's it has some THC, as long as it's under 0.3%, you're good. 0.3% or above, you have to get a state license. Whatever the state requirements are for Jersey, for instance, you have to buy a license. It can be millions of dollars for certain states. So I know that states like Missouri were charging $50,000 for a license. It was, they have hundreds of dispensaries because it was, it was affordable for some people, not like millions. So you, you, you have to figure out what it is that you want to do in the business. There's so many different things that you want to do. Do you want to be a grower? Do you want to cultivate uh, and uh, then just uh, uh, sell your crop to a, uh, a retailer that's going to sell it in their store? Or do you want to be the retailer or do you want to be the manufacturer, meaning that you'll take that crop and you'll create oil from that or another product and you'll make vapes or you'll make tinctures or some of that. So you have to figure out there's so many different areas of the business that, that have or do you want to be a distributor? meaning that you'll just buy other people's white label it, create a brand and resell it. And also different states have different laws. Like Florida is a fully vertical state. What that means is that if you have a license, you have a vertical license. That means it's seed to sale. So you have to grow it. Mm. You have to uh, cure it. You have to try it. You have to uh, distribute it and you can only sell it out of your stores. So that's that. So every single state has its own laws. Like Pennsylvania doesn't have that. You can have a cultivation license. So somebody will cultivate and you can have a separate retail license. But the one thing that Pennsylvania did that I think is really interesting and beneficial, every single licensee, dispensary or whoever has to take a percentage of their earnings and contribute it to a fund that actually funds research at five different uh, universities for cannabis research. So now like Temple, Drexel, uh, all these different universities, they actually have cannabis research programs that are actually looking to see what the medicinal aspects and benefits are of the plant. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm so glad we had this interview. Let me ask you one more question. I'll let my co-hosts get they, get they stuff in. It's a weird question that I have. I'm sorry, y'all. Hold on. Give me one second. What in the world is Delta eight? <laughs> Great question. I have some. I just don't know what it is, and I'm scared. Yeah. Well, you should be because delta eight is an isomer, so it means that it is it. There is a loophole, right, in this law of delta nine. Delta nine is tetrahydrocannabinol, which is THC. Right. So delta eight is an isomer, means that it is a man-made uh, synthetic version of delta nine. So I'm gonna. K2. I had, I had a great scientist who I was trying to figure this out too. And he drew a little diagram. We were, we were having lunch somewhere and he's like, let me explain to you what the difference between Delta nine and Delta eight is. So think about a receptor. Your receptor has three holes in it and Delta nine has three prongs. So it fits perfectly. Those holes fit perfectly in those prongs. So that's THC. And then you release an andamite. So Delta eight has two prongs that fit the two receptors and the third one sits on top. So it never actually fully, so it gives you a little bit of an andamite, but it doesn't fully give you what the feeling of THC is. So it doesn't get you as high as Delta 9 would, but because it's man-made and because it's an isomer and it's a synthetic, we don't know what the different side effects of having the synthetic in our bodies are in the long term. So I just try to avoid anything that's a synthetic substance. And that's, that's the so, way. So throw it away. <laughs> yes. yes. You call me. I, I don't, I and wouldn't call me. <laughs> I would no. Go, go, <laughs> go for Delta, go for Delta nine, Delta nine. You can't go wrong. And, and think about it this way. Look, if you had that, that experience with it, maybe looking at, uh, sublingual delivery or combustible look at the amount what happens with these uh distillates and these isolates and the and these cartridges and all that stuff think about this way when when back in the day your cannabis maybe had you know seven maybe ten percent thc now they're growing plants that have up to thirty percent thc if you're getting a concentrate which is you know, moon rocks or, or dabs or oils or, or any of that. You're looking at 60, 70, 80%. The worst, 
experience that I had was consuming a distillate that was 99% THC. I don't, as soon as I consume that, my heart started jumping out of my chest and I don't have these predispositions. Uh, And I really felt like, oh my God, what is happening right now? My brain, I couldn't, I couldn't even speak. And look, there's a, there's a use for these things. If somebody's a, in palliative care, end of life, in extreme pain, instead of a morphine drip, they can, you know, they can uh, consume that. But wow. for the regular consumer, it's unnecessary. And what happens is your receptors get bound with the THC. So every single time, over time, you need more and more and more. And if yeah. you're starting with that, how much you, how much more are you going to need? Exactly. You know, and the and it leads to these adverse experiences with people that I think are unnecessary. <clears throat> so. Starting low and slow and using different met flour, sublingual delivery under your tongue, <clears throat> that's usually a safer way to start uh, consuming cannabis. The good news about it is, you know, how they say you need more with cannabis, the receptors reset themselves after a pause. So if you stop consuming for a day, two days a week, your receptors reset and you start over again. So it's not physically dependent. It's the only yeah, one sure. of these drugs that doesn't have physical dependence. Talking uh, about, it. Talk yeah. about this guy. This guy hey, he smokes about. <laughs> it's a lot of yeah, weed. Can, I he's made of weed. He'll, he'll, he'll over exaggerate. Okay. No, he's not this one. No, I'm not. <laughs> not this one, though. <laughs> I smoke about four grams a day. Enjoy. Around four or five grams a day. Yeah. I enjoy it thoroughly. Test him. If you if you want to save save some money, take like a week off, and then you'll start. Oh yeah, I usually again. take. I usually take. I'll I'll stop like for two days just so I can get back to that. There you go. Get back to that normal. Oh yeah, I've been doing this for a long time. I know about the. Reset. <laughs> you got it down. You got it I know down. about the resets. I take mushrooms and all of that. I do the same thing with mushrooms. I wait about two weeks, three weeks, let myself reset because it's the same thing with mushrooms. Yep, I do the same thing. Yeah, see. <clears throat> Yeah, that's you, great you, you microdose, you microdose during the day, and then you yeah. have a hero dose. And after that, you give yourself a couple weeks break, yep. the receptors to reset themselves, and you can go. Yeah, there. that 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 uh that blissful state in oh, yeah. in the mushroom that is a drain an energy draining situation. Uh-huh. It's only it's that six hours of bliss that you get when you're on that actual good mushroom trip that very next day. I don't do shit. I don't do a <laughs> damn thing. I do nothing. I don't eat. I don't smoke. I don't do nothing. I'm asleep. And then That's I wake up. I go to the bathroom. I let the dogs out. I go back to sleep. And then I wake up in time for my wife to get home for dinner. There you go. That's recovery. You got to recover. Yeah. 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 It is draining, but it is great. Well, so, you have your own podcast too, right? I do. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Tell us about that. Yeah. It's called everything is personal. Uh, so this is the way it started. Like, uh, uh, I was being interviewed for the green entrepreneur magazine, which is the entrepreneur magazine's cannabis, uh, version magazine. And the guy that was interviewing me, John, uh, we had like a 20 minute interview and then, uh, we started just talking. He's a New York guy. I'm a Philly guy. Uh, and we started talking like old school hip hop. And he's like, uh, who's your favorite, uh, you know, old school hip hop guy? I'm like, Schooly D. And he goes, me, me too. He goes, you know Schooly D? I'm like, yeah. So we, we, we would just call each other and riff music, mostly music. And, and uh, he's, he produces podcasts. And he's like, we should do a podcast together. I'm like, ah, what are we going to talk about? He said, the same shit we talk about now on the phone or whatever. Yeah. So we started a podcast. And then he... I uh, had some other obligations after the first like 30, 40. So that's, that's really, I took it on. And basically what I do is I interview people just like this, uh, who I'm curious about. Uh, sometimes we talk cannabis, not always. Uh, some people don't are not consumers. Uh, we talk about music. Uh, just I'm curious about people. So when I talk about everything is personal, I want to know the, the, the individual story. There's so many people that come on and they just, uh, you know, they talk about their business or they talk about their product. I want to know about you. Like what, what happened? What's your story? What was your childhood like? And that's, that's really what my pocket's like. Anybody that's I'm curious about, I'm interested in, I try to dive deep like that. I love that. I love that because that's what it looked. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Nah, you was gonna say we're both we're the same because we were in, when I read your bio, I was like, I gotta, I gotta want to talk to this guy, man. Yeah. And we just talk that same thing we do here. We just want to talk to people that we're interested in, man. 
That's how yeah. we started. Drake yeah. Dre was the is in the I guess the inspiration for this whole podcast. And he pretty much said the same thing. He was like, Why don't we start a podcast? Me and Kevin were like, No, I said about? that to y'all. I thought yeah. Dre. No, I said that to y'all. I brought that up to y'all. But um Oh man! Hey, so look, I'm saying, it hey, was me, dude. It hey, was me. The, the highlight, the highlight of my podcast, though, like from that whole thing, I had Schoolie D on. Oh, and that was that was my favorite, and I had a lot of and, I, and no offense awesome. to Be Real, and no offense to uh, Chris Schwartz and Roughhouse. It's going name I love, drop. I love, I love all you guys, <laughs> but Schoolie D, Schoolie D is that's my guy. I'm a Philly guy, and that's my guy. And he was he does not disappoint. If you listen to it. He is the greatest. Like his interviews, he gives no fucks. He's the greatest. Well, tell everybody where they can find your podcast so yeah. they can check you out, man. You know, yeah, it's everywhere you listen to podcasts and Apple, Spotify. It's called Everything Is Personal. I have a book out. Uh, you can get it on Amazon or Target, uh, wherever mm-hmm. books are sold. It's called Making Cannabis Personal. I think there's a copy. Oh, here, Making Cannabis Personal. Oh, I've seen that. May. Yeah, that's that's my book. <laughs> and, I've seen uh, it. He's got pictures of me with long hair in it, so. <laughs> and, uh, and my company, man, I, th- this is the thing. We're, our, we're focused on precision medicine. Cannabis is only one part of it, but we believe using DNA is a start. If you, like, people talk about 23andMe and all these things. By the way, you don't have to swab using our kit. You can use, if you've already done, like, a 23andMe or an Ancestry.com, you can take your data and we'll, we will translate it and provide you a report on your endocannabinoid system. But the overall goal, my overall passion is precision medicine. So starting with DNA, think of it as your GPS system. So it shows you what genetic predispositions you may have. So you are empowered with information to take action. DNA is not locked in. It's pre-encoded. Your lifestyle can turn those switches on and off. So if you have a predisposition to something and there's a certain, uh, you know, cannabinoid ratio that works for you, how do you know it works for you? So we measure that through biometric feedback. So I have like a biometric device that we created, which is called the Endolink device. And what that does to an app, I'll give you an example of sleep. So recovery, we talked about sleep and recovery. Yeah. How do you know that you're getting good quality recovery sleep? And people who are under a lot of stress they're sort of on this hamster wheel. If you're not getting recovery sleep, <clears throat> alpha, theta, how do you, you're, you're basically still agitated. So we want to make sure that you have the right protocol that works for you individually. And we measure the efficacy of that. How well is that protocol working for you? And all that information goes to the cloud. And then we use machine learning, like AI, to make better predictive inferences. Mm. So it's truly a personalized experience. Now we do personalized vitamins and nutrients. Based on yourself, what are you deficient in? So what do you need to add to that? And the skin, even like what are your predispositions for skin? What type of uh, oil, lotions, what will work better for you? Are you predisposed to eczema? How can you avoid that? So by knowing these genetic predispositions, you can make better decisions for yourself for your overall health and wellness. So I can I can figure out a way to because I have a major problem with focus. So I actually um, and this is off the podcast stuff. When you spoke about the windows in your mind, and I meant to bring this up earlier because uh, that really touched me. When I was in school, especially taking the SATs, I got an 800. I don't know how they grade them now, but 800 was very, like extremely average, if not below, right? But I'm a smart guy. But what would happen when I would take these tests is, and I swear to God, songs would play in my head without, like I don't trigger them to play. I would be trying, I would have to read a paragraph four or five times in order to understand what it was saying because just songs would just play over and over in my head that I liked. So I would be able to figure out what would help me with that. Cause I'm, yeah. I'm a 30 year old. Absolutely. But the first thing you got to think about is ADD or ADHD. Now that's called it's, it's can be used as a superpower. Some people call it <clears throat> a disorder. It's not a disorder. It's a superpower. So what happens with ADD is you're born with a depletion of dopamine. So you're not producing enough dopamine. So your brain is always searching for the next dopamine hit. So an example of that is that's why your all these thoughts keep popping up. That's why music keeps popping up because those songs you like, they connect with you. 
and they squirt dopamine uh, from your brain. And so video game designers sit there and they design video games specifically for kids with ADD. So they keep getting that dopamine hit. So they sit there for eight hours or 12 hours, play video games. So when you're looking for a dopamine hit, when you find that, that's when you're going to be able to focus and you can create systems for yourself that allow you to be able to work within, like, I'll give you a a really quick uh, hint. So when you create your list of things to do, I have to work with lists. If I don't have a list that I don't, I don't know, I forget my mind drifts in different directions, but your list has never, should never be more than seven things. So what you do is you go through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. These are my things that I need to do. Once you complete two, three, you give yourself a reward. So you give yourself a reward of dopamine, whatever that means. Go for a hike, go for a walk, smoke a joint, whatever that may be. So you're always rewarding yourself and you're giving yourself that uh, that dopamine hit. And if you have more than seven things in your list, your brain says it's like a million. It just freaks out. So just keeping it like little chunks you give yourself a chunk you do that you complete that task and you reward yourself there's a million different things you can do but there are formulations that we've made there's one called focus actually that helps you to stimulate that dopamine and gaba that'll help you to focus a little bit more as well wow you Thank blew you. our mind. You blew our mind with this interview. Man. Yeah, for real. I appreciate that. I'm over here. I'm gonna do some research because I, I I might grab some books. I don't know if any books you can suggest, but yeah, I, I yeah, yeah. There's, there's plenty of research, but you you, you can do your uh, DNA test too, and you can find out which gen- genetic predispositions you have. See if your ADD is genetic. See if it's environmental because there's environmental ADD too because we have stimulates all over the place. So once we figure that out, you can find different things besides things that you can consume systems working within systems has been a godsend to me. It's been, and I was an ADD coach for high functioning executives, CEOs. So I did that for about a year, a year and a half because I was doing it and for myself and other CEOs were like, can you, you know, coach us and teach us your systems? I'm like, sure, no problem. So these are all my systems that, you know, be happy to share them as well. Nice. Perfect. Man. Oh. <laughs> man. <laughs> so, man. I'm telling you, man, I'm a sciencey guy and I can go deep, man, but I, you know. Oh, no. That was great. No, this, is a per- this is a perfect game. That we got to wrap great. it up because we got another one we got to do out there. But, man, uh, where everybody can find you at, where can they find your business? This is, you know, your business, you know, yeah. run it down one more time. Get it clear. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> our the the company is called Endocana Health. Our website is endo e n d o d n a endodna dot com. Hmm. Uh, our it's a DNA test. You can get it uh, there, and be happy to you know share a code with your audience to, uh, if you want for for a discount. Be be happy to share that as well. But uh, uh, you can find me there. My name is Len May, L-E-N-M-A-Y. I'm on all social networks. I think Instagram is Len May DNA. Uh, same thing with Twitter, uh, Facebook, Len May, LinkedIn, YouTube. Uh, so I'm here. All right, man. Y'all nice. got that. Y'all got that guess. Uh, Len May, man. We appreciate your time and, and jumping on with us, man. Yeah, that was definitely. Fire. Thank you, guys. I appreciate Good information. Good information. We'll catch y'all later. Thanks again. Peace. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Opinionated Podcast. If you love today's episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, five stars. We don't want nothing less. If you're an artist, actress, a songwriter, an author, or you're doing something that's interesting and you want to be a guest on our show, please email us at opinionatedpodcastddk at gmail.com. That's opinionatedpodcastddk at gmail.com.